wonderful people. Welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Research Spotlight. This is the show where we get to interact with researchers around the globe. My name is Tisha, and today's conversation is with Mr. Sapon Hammond Enchi. Mr. Enchi is a PhD candidate at the Dundalk Institute of Technology in Ireland. He holds a bachelor's degree in community development from the University of Development Studies, WA, Ghana, and a master of science degree in energy policy from the Pan-African University Institute in Algeria. He is specifically interested in water energy climate nexus with a keen interest in gender mainstreaming and partnership for community development. Mr. Entry is currently a PhD candidate at Dundalk Institute of Technology in Ireland. My guest for today is Mr. Sapon Hammond Entry. Welcome to the Research Spotlight, Mr. Hammond. Thank you so much for having me, Tisha. As usual, it's a privilege always to get the opportunity to be on such a platform to to share our bit of story and to learn from listeners and viewers from across Ghana and the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah this is the third time here, right? One was to share with us about um, studying in Ireland. The yeah. second was um, PhD forum, right? Yeah. And now you are, you are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that you, you are a friend of this channel, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I'm looking forward to more opportunities as they come. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you. So we, we, we have just read a little bit about you and what you do. But can you tell us a bit more, especially how this whole journey began and then um, how growing up was like for you? Mm, okay, so I think um, the most interesting part to be growing up. So. I grew up um, in a family where the only thing my dad and my mom knew was success. So I remember when he asked me which primary school to attend, I have to give you a list because I was moving from one school to the other. When you are first in a school, my dad will be like, the teachers are not good enough. That's why you are first. <laughs> when, and when you are last, he beats you for being last. And then, <laughs> so like... Mm -hmm. I was always moving from one place to the other and he, he would never settle for anything beyond being first or second. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that if you come from such a home, there's always pressure on you to to deliver. And then um, my dad uh, is a teacher by profession, but then he's an author and then he writes mainly English literature books and um, story books for students. So, you know, and uh, he comes back home always with different sort of books. So when I was in primary school, I was always reading books beyond my level because yeah, he goes to the printing press and then, you know what these publishers, they do. When you meet a friend in the printing press, you pick his book and then he picks yours. So there is always different variety of books. So if you pick a mass book, I have like four or five different variety the same across different subjects. I was forced to, to learn. So 
um, sometimes when people are talking about their childhood fantasies and stuff, so I always feel left out because I never. Oh, it's just books, books, books. Yeah, I think the only time I enjoyed was school days, like when you know in school you meet your friends during break. I never loved, yeah, I never loved vacation because vacation for me was intense studies. So, yeah, but you were enjoying was, it, right? I would say I enjoyed it. You know, that time you always see your dad and get angry because like, this guy wants me to learn. But now I appreciate all the stuff he did. But yeah, when I was growing up, it wasn't fun. Like, the beating, you dare not be second. Is it? Um, let me tell you this funny story. So, you know, we call this thing our day. Mm. So at the end of the yeah, I, I stopped that thing in class four. Because I'm scared, you know, our day, um, your primary school teachers will tell you to cook and come and then you need to eat with friends. But the thing is, you ask, I'll ask my dad, sorry, and he'll be like, what will be your position? You tell him maybe that I'll be first. He'll ask you, what do you want? Just give him the list. Anything you want is going to provide for you. Mm -hmm. But if you don't first, that's the mm -hmm. <laughs> so that You is, have to play with your skin, right? Yeah, so I remember one hour day, I told you I'm going to be wow. first. And I, I came up being, um, I think, ninth. I don't know what happened. So I was crying and I told my friends, you know what my dad told me? If you go to school and you are not first, you become a shoe shine. So... Um, <laughs> The next semester, I'm not coming to school. I'm going to be a shoe shine. A shoe shine. To the house but, to go and beg. And then I, I went home and I think if I remember, that's the last position I've ever had in school. <laughs> the beating and everything. Wow. I said, I'm no longer doing our day. I'm no longer and doing you. anything fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's interesting. So during this time, did you have the passion or the dream of becoming a researcher? Well, I had funny childhood dreams because um, I I love um, the life of um, astronauts because I, oh, I used to read books and there are pictures of them and then you see the Apollo and uh, the space um, craft and other things. So I used to love that idea. And at a point in time, I love boxing. Can you imagine? I said to myself, <laughs> I wanted to be a boxer because um, I think... Uh, my dad brings newspapers um, during our time, Kotoko Express and Daily Graphic. So when he comes back from home, he opens my door and drops the newspapers. And that's the only thing that I read. And in the newspaper, I think page 27, you find this cartoons. So it, when I was a child, the only time I watched cartoons was watching and reading it from the Daily Graphic. Newspapers. Yes. <laughs> And then at the last part of the newspaper, there is always sports. And he's a Kotoko fanatic. So I read about sports. And I think my time, there were a lot of Ghanaian boxers and stories about boxing. So I said, ah, I want to be a boxer. And that was it. But I, yeah, at a point, I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be a boxer. And then I think when I got to JSS, SS, I was thinking of law and history. I love history and geography because I read a lot and lots of it and then yeah i was i was thinking and um, around that line and then all of a sudden it changed and you know the reality setting after senior high school you don't really know what to do but i think um i finally chose a course in the university related to history and geography and then i remember i i, I 
I picked geography and community development for tech, but I, I didn't want to go there after for some basic reasons. And the, the course in UDS was related to that community development. And the reason why I chose UDS was we had the house help who was from um, Temale. And I, I used to see the family members come to the house. I love the way they dress in smoke. So my mm -hmm. mind was like, if I get the chance, I want to go to where these guys are coming from. So you know, I, yeah, <laughs> I had a chance to go to tech. I did everything. I said, no, I'm not going. When UDS came, I said, no, I'm going to the north. And I put mm -hmm. my dad and I was in the north. So I basically went to UDS because of the tradition, the love for the north. That was the first motivation. They're before, cold. Yeah, before the course itself. And yeah, the course I would say has been one of the best things I've, I've, I've done. And people couldn't understand why I'll choose UDS over any other institute. And yeah. Wow. So at what point in your life did you decide to focus on climate science? Well, um, I don't think it was by design. It just happened because um, when I was doing community development, it's very broad. And then you do various aspects of social and economic and even spiritual aspect of community. So you always read a lot from economics to all um, facets of society. And then um, when I was finishing community development, I developed a strong interest in community engagement. So I formed a youth-based um, organization on campus. We used to do a lot of donations, community projects. We plant trees and we, yes, a lot. And um, I, I, I worked very closely with the School for the Blind and Deaf because I always wanted to speak to people. I wanted to make people happy. And that was the aspect of community development. So I was moving around encouraging young students and yeah, through that in 2016, I won the best volunteer for the Upper West region. And that's a long time ago, but I, I did my best that I, I could at that point. So um, when I finished school, I was a teaching assistant and I had a strong love for social work. But then during that time, we had the doom saw in Ghana. And I think one thing I picked up from childhood was you can learn anything you want to learn. You can mm -hmm. do anything you want to learn. So yeah, I, I used to follow a lot about the Dumso situation. And then one day I just thought of, okay, there is Dumso in Accra, Kumasi, and these places. How does this affect communities? And how can communities be exempted? Because my love is for communities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't care about urban areas. It's Accra, Kumasi people. You are not my people. <laughs> my, my people are those in the, not to say villages, but they in the, um, countryside if i should put it mm -hmm. so i started thinking about that and then i came across an article that looks at um, solar energy in communities and then i saw the pictures of how people are there and said no this is something i need to do so i wrote my own proposal on how to combine um, um, energy for people in community so my research was going to provide energy not to people in the urban areas, specifically to rural areas where my lab is. And mm -hmm. then, yeah, I applied to schools and, you know, their scholarships, some you need to submit a proposal. I had one from Bedfordshire and they were giving me 75% scholarship, which was in food. But then I had a Pan-African University, which was 100% scholarship with stipend. And then in my interview, they asked me and I was telling them, yes, because um, Ghana is having this issue of doom so. 
and I believe people in Accra and Kumasi, they, they contribute a lot, but the rural areas do not, but they all get the light out during this time. So there's a lot of sunshine, especially in the Upper West region. Mm -hmm. We leverage on solar energy to give them light, to give them um, water supply and all these things. And they fell in love with it. They gave me the scholarship, which is sponsored by the African Union. And the African Union specifically love concepts that has to do with developing local communities. And mm -hmm. that was it for me. So I had to study energy policy. And <clears throat> during those period, I focused, I tried as much as possible to focus more on community. So I did my research. And what I realized was that when you talk about communities and they getting access to energy do they really like it that's one thing development agencies do not take their time in doing seeing me crying doesn't necessarily mean i'm hungry yeah you get the point so mm -hmm. local communities not having light does not necessarily mean they want light maybe what they want is different so you provide them light in your mind oh i gave them electricity <laughs> you don't have to assume right yes yeah, so mm -hmm. I, I i found out that that has been a challenge and then um the german technical corporation which was a sponsor to my university they do a lot of projects in africa but after four years the project goes back to zero and many ngos they go to communities to undertake projects and the projects do collapse so i was trying to look at how or why can communities or how do communities accept projects and what is its impact? So now after creating that topic, I, I my love for energy came in, my love for community and gender came in. It's like community acceptability of renewable energy and its impact on climate action. And guess where I went? My research took me to Niger. So <laughs> and Niger is an interesting, I love the place. Uh, it's one of the best experiences I've had with the sun. You know, it's a desert country and then having 35, 36, 40, 42 degrees temperature. And in Nigeria, I was in a cold environment, negative two, negative three temperature. I switched to 41, 40, 42. I used to cry going for data collection on the field. But, um, yeah, it's all interesting. And here I am, basically. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> This is really great. Um, we have some comments here. Hulda, Hulda said, she says, you are, you are an inspiration, Hammond. Keep shining. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the comment, Hulda. And Gladys Anani says, I'm enjoying this interview. Keep it up, Hammond. Thank you. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the gender bit in your, um, in your interest? Yeah, so um, I think the gender bit came in. So... Um, Overall, in my family, we don't have too many females, and I never had a lot of encounter with women. I, I started talking to women when I in my final year of essays. Like when I see you, I just don't look at you. You don't <laughs> exist. And then, yeah. So um, <clears throat> when I went to the university, somebody pushed me to actually take serious interest. So um, I used to know but I didn't know how to teach people or explain to people. So there was this lady in my class, and then we had a big discussion. She said, you, Hamon, you always keep quiet, but the exam will come and you score. What is it? <laughs> then you have to teach us. So I felt very embarrassed because no lady had ever spoken to me that way. So I went to the room and I told myself, look, from today, I need to open up. 
And from there, she became my very close friend. I started learning everything about women, what they do, what they don't do. And then, yeah, you know, once you read more about it and you find out in the communities, if you look at the gender activity rule where a woman wakes up at 4 a.m., she goes back to bed at 10, and the man is going to wake up six and still be shouting at this woman who has been up two hours before. Mm-hmm. So I look at the plight of women, the stress they go through, the challenges they face in our communities. In where I, I lived it, I saw it, where men will not give money to their wives to cook. They sit outside to eat meat, come back home. They don't give money to the woman, but they expect to find food in the house. Yeah. So I think about all these things, it makes me angry. And I'm like, what do we do to mainstream women into research so that they don't become who I see them? in places that have been so in algeria i established the climate and gender club and the main reason why i established that club was that how do we mainstream women into climate actions because when there is flood in there when there is drought when there is challenges in the community the man will run away and leave it's the woman and the children who are going to suffer and most of these women they don't even know why there is drought they want to find food they don't get food what happens to them so why don't we create awareness why don't we empower them so that they become active participants in finding solutions to community problems so we created the um, powers climate change and gender club and we got support from the african union from the giz the german government and we did a lot of presentations across we were in university of michigan um we were in germany several times on there we we actually got invited to the sdg 2018 goals in germany yeah which was a big thing like talking about gender and all those things and one interesting thing is um we had other colleagues in algeria who went back to their various countries and they tried to establish clubs and currently i have somebody who is in germany for a phd mainly on gender and energy so sometimes i i i sit back and look at this is something i just did out of anger and mm-hmm. it was fun like i never thought it would grow to this extent and today yeah, we have, yeah we've made contribution to the unfcc council a whole lot of things that has contributed in a way to <clears throat> women uh, involvement in gender and in my thesis i specifically focused on the aspect of women and how we can so um, I have a couple of um, um, documentaries I did in the community where I stayed in the village with the women for one week, trying to see how they cook, how they so It's amazing. A typical woman in Sekuku community where I did my case study walks mm-hmm. an average of five kilometers to search for firewood because it's a desert. Mm. And the funny thing is when you stand you don't see any tree but they go out to search for fire without like what are you going to search for <laughs> and it has become a part and parcel of them they have to so this woman walks five kilometers in search of fire would come back home to cook and has wow. to go do certain things and you think about all this and so i overall i dedicated my thesis my master thesis to women who wake up in the morning to sweat just to put food on the table. Wow. These are women, nobody thinks about them. These are women, nobody talks about them. But they keep society running. You just imagine without them, 
the man who wake up and don't know where to get hot water to bath, but mm-hmm. nobody talks about these people. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and then overall, they make society what it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is really amazing. Thank you. Thank you for this great work you have done for women. We are proud of you. And thank you so much for thinking about us. It's just a pleasure working. I think one thing I've realized is one of the easiest things is working with with women who know what they are doing. Mm. Yeah, they are just amazing. The ideas they come up with, the solutions they come up with. I'm currently working with a professor and then she tells me when I'm when I'm tired, I get angry. Nobody ever told me that, but I realize that personally when I'm angry, it means I'm tired. Nice. And this is something a woman has to tell me because he never imagined the stress they go through from 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 hygiene poverty to physical poverty to abuse and everything. Nobody documents and talks about it, but I think it's time to use our research not only for the whole community or country benefit, but to be conscious of, yes, we want everybody to benefit, but how do we make women stand out? And that's what I always try to do with my work. And sometimes I, I do when that has nothing to do with gender, but I say, look, I'm still going to put Let something me- there. <laughs> <laughs> Just put something in there, yeah. Wow, wow. Thank you, thank you. Solomon Ajman says, very interesting yeah i'm really enjoying this but I, w- I want i want us to go to your phd what problems are your phd work or your research work P- um uh, currently your current research work solving what problems are they solving well they're solving an interesting problem in Maryland, which has trickling effect across the world so the phd journey is also another interesting one so when i was finishing with the energy in the course of studying energy, I came across water and then so I provide now. This is my mentality. I go to the community, I love the women, I want to see them living a better life. So I'm giving them solar energy. After giving them solar, there is electricity. It's the man who has access to the wireless, the phone. He's still going to enjoy the electricity more than the woman. And then this woman has to go fetch water. She still has to cook. What is the state of her water? So I'm like, okay, can I now go and find out more about issues relating to water? So um, I, you know, sometimes when I sit down, I'm just thinking about this and I say, okay, let me look at what I can do about water. Because when I went to Niger for my research, water was another problem. And I realized that climate change was having impact on the um, river Niger, which passes through the community. So there is a lot of um, sand going into the water, so that it keeps reducing and it becomes dirty, but the women have to still go fetch it. And they, they basically struggle for water with the cattle. So the cattle are on the other side and they are also fetching. And it's a whole stress. So I started thinking about this aspect of water. And then um, after my master thesis, I, I saw something on Nexus and I tried to find out more. So what you realize is that most scholars are either specifically on energy, specifically trained on, 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 on climate change, specifically trained on water. There are few people who try to combine the three. But the good thing is if you give me money, I want to go to a community and implement a project. That will make the woman wake up in the morning, get access to energy and get access to water so she doesn't have to walk kilometers to fetch water. 
And the interesting thing is in Africa, many young girls do not access education because they wake up fetching water in the morning. Yeah. When their colleagues are going to school, they are fetching mm -hmm. so they fetch water for their brothers to bath, they fetch water for their mom, for their dad, and they have to fetch water and keep in the kitchen for cooking in the evening. So a typical young girl who is supposed to go to school early to start math class and science class is missing the morning lectures or morning session because of water, which doesn't make sense. Yeah. So now I try to, okay, let me try and bring in the aspect of water so that I can now, when I'm talking, I can talk from climate point of view, from energy point of view, from the water point water. of view, from the gender point of view. So that's what led me to my proposal on water governance. And um, the reason why I looked into governance is because I'm biased when it comes to <laughs> politics and social issues. And there is always water available, but who brings the water and how is it given? Is the politics that is always missing. So I wrote a... A proposal on that and then i i got funding from the irish government to undertake the research but then the problem i was thinking in africa is somewhat the same in ireland so they are paying for everything for your fees and everything and they want you to implement or help their projects in ireland but at the end of the day the findings and everything can be replicated across different parts of the okay, world, okay. yeah, that is the journey, and specifically, what I'm looking at now is governance and management of water resources in the Republic of, of Ireland. Ireland, yeah, wow, that's great. And what are some of the challenges that you have faced? Well, I think, um, I'm not from here, so I, I write as I see things, yeah, you know when when you don't hold allegiance to anybody you say it as it is and sometimes mm -hmm. they tell you you need to be gentle because um <laughs> the things i see here and the things i find for my research even in in places that i've been they wouldn't do that but this is a first class country you should expect nothing but the best so it becomes it becomes an internal conflict like do i write this do i put it in do i close my eyes on it and Sometimes you write and your supervisors tell you, oh, come on, you know, this is very... Be diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, be diplomatic. You can't do this and you can't say this. And so sometimes I write a lot and I sit back to read what I've written. I try to be an Irish and to see whether somebody will appreciate what mm -hmm. I'm writing. But overall, yeah, um, I can't specifically say beyond COVID, I've not seen too much of a challenge. Of course, um, researchers, we have challenges especially when you are living alone, a single life is boring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's that, I, I never thought that could be, but now I realize the key thing. And um, probably if somebody had advised me earlier, I wouldn't be single and be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then um, no, I, oh. I never had, um, I never had a gap here. Because I finished my bachelor's and I was a national service personnel. I was left with one month to finish national um, service and I left Ghana to Algeria. And oh, then in Algeria, I defended my thesis on 26th September, 27th, I was in Ireland. I never mm -hmm. had a day to rest. So rest. since I started, like, you know, sometimes the body tells you you need to rest, but you cannot. And that is a bit of challenge with health issues. But beyond that, everything is on a smooth level. Wow. Yeah. 
I know we were supposed to have this conversation, um, I think last week, last Thursday, week, but yeah. you had a meeting, and most of the time I know you are you are quite busy. So can you tell us what a day is like in the life of a researcher? Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm talking to my auntie and I'm like, she's telling me dream. I'm like, how do you dream? Because <laughs> me, when I dream, the things I call dream, I see the things I wrote on my laptop. Sometimes I dream and the things I type, that did they make sense? Everything is about your work. Mm-hmm. Everything is about your laptop. So your best friend is your laptop. Your best friend is the article you write, you know, the findings you're making. So a typical day, we should start at 5 a.m. for me. At that 5 a.m., you should be enjoying your bed, but your mind is half open and you're thinking of <laughs> what to start what to start how to write this conclusion when to finish this deadline and and now one of my supervisors moved to australia so the time difference sometimes i have meetings like 8 a.m 6 a.m 9 a.m so the days that we need to have an earlier meeting that means the day is starting for you at six and then you finish so maybe nine ten you want to take your breakfast and then there is either another meeting somewhere to attend and even when you think you are free sometimes i tell myself today i'm not doing anything that's the day you even do a you lot work hard. Yes. There is, personally one of the things i hate is checking my emails in the morning because you open the emails and there's a lot of things <laughs> Or something you writing something so a typical day is a busy messy day and then the best you can do is to take control of everything is important but you need to try and understand that you cannot finish everything within a day so sometimes mm-hmm. i deliberately close my eyes on certain calls coming on certain things coming i try to recently my sister made me aware of um snapchat so now i just when i'm tired i just stop doing Go on snapchat. <laughs> just to do a video and i'm finding that interesting and it's all it, it it only sizes me up to now come back to work more so there's no laxity in being a phd student but yeah you can still have fun like i'm doing now with snapchat when you want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah thanks to your sister that now you have snapchat you can quickly i mean still some time there yeah now i do press. i do videos yeah. but you need you know, that yeah i play i love music a lot so when there's music playing i try to like follow and sing or take a picture something funny and then you spend like 30 minutes doing that you you feel a bit relaxed and then you can come back to to work and then finish whatever you you were doing yeah Great. I know that with all the great work that you are doing, the only way some of us can get to read about your work is through publishing articles, etc. So can you tell us a bit about what goes on into that writing, publishing, and all that? How difficult Well, it is? Um, <clears throat> it's, it's not difficult. So PhD students have two options. Either you do the monologue where you, where you write or you study everything and you, you publish, um, not publish, you write your thesis as one and then you submit. Or you do publication. So in my proposal, I opted to do publication. So 
technically i'm supposed to do three publications before i complete but i've done three so far and i look like it looks like i might do more because mm. the topics that comes up are interesting so mm. what happens is i'm talking to to tisha and then we have 10 people listening instead of 100 people so what accounts for 10 people instead of 100 doing the listening now can i do a research to find out more is it because of data is it because of the time is it because it's raining somewhere because there is light out so it becomes interesting okay let me go and read about these things what are other people doing okay maybe some people do a recording and they post it at 10 a.m so 10 a.m everybody's on the phone maybe other people what they do is they after the whole session they put it into maybe TikTok videos and they share it and that generates interest okay can i also use that approach or other people they transcribe and they send to people directly like a whatsapp message so you try to look at different things being done from different corners and different parts of the world you just oppose everything together and that becomes like the foundation for your research so you now begin to sit down and write so the first stage of publishing is doing a detailed reading and you can only read when there is a problem and for me i i always research about things either i'm angry about or i'm 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 just interested to know and mostly the things that i'm angry about because i can't imagine somebody waking up at 5 a.m to walk look for firewood it doesn't make sense yeah and then i i can't wake up and see that somebody cannot get access to water or the person has water but the quality is poor why mm. should that happen so these things come in and you want to now write into it so the first stage of research i would say is to find out why and sometimes I, it's not everything i write sometimes i just read about it because um a typical case in Ghana, there was this issue of the Rastafarians mm, mm, mm. going to school. I love reggae, so I was a bit biased. I, I still don't understand why our young ladies are taught to trim their hair when they are in school. And now every Ghanaian has to buy a wig at one stage in life. <laughs> but we don't manufacture wigs. So the question is, who is benefiting from the wig industry? Mm. who is benefiting from the cream we use the hair relaxer mm. and i chose on an article that links the cream we use on our hair and fibroid and i i, I discuss because i work with women and the story of fibroid is quite common even for young ladies yeah 16, 18 mm. and now you begin to realize that actually the hair relaxes some chemicals in them the more you use them, it has a way of entering your bloodstream and based on your blood type and genes, the possibility mm. of developing menstrual cramps, fibroid and other things I have. So this is something like out of curiosity and anger, I go to read and I find out and later I might decide to do maybe an assessment of this. So th mm. that is how research for me is about and how I do my research. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. You have shared with us a day in the life of a researcher and also like what um, what research is about. So what should an aspiring researcher have in mind? Okay, I want to go this way, but what should, how prepared should they be? What should they know before venturing this field? 
Well, I I think the general advice I would give is you should be prepared for it. Because um if you don't prepare, that's where it becomes a challenge. And you know, when you just say, Oh, these guys are sometimes you speak to people and say, Oh, you know, you are very young and you are doing this, and in my mind, I'm like, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm only smiling because you don't understand. Yeah. Even for me, I was like prepared. I still have challenges that I go through. So I can imagine somebody who didn't prepare and just want to do a master's or PhD because his colleagues are doing it. And the people who complain a lot about their master's or PhD, uh, usually when you dig deep to find out why, they were usually not prepared, but because their friends were doing it, because they are, they are, they are and maybe because there's no work, they are yes. find a job. So, and for me, I, I even tell people, look, even because your friends are doing it, do something that is of interest. Mm -hmm. Don't just go and pick any course because you want to do it, or there should be a reason, and the reason should what should be something that motivates you. So I, I attend a conference and I, oh, I have a background in energy, climate change, gender, and what like, how did you do it? So I begin to tell you how the interests were developing. Mm -hmm. I don't oh, understand. So to you, what was the interest? Why do you want to study nursing? Why do you want to study accounting, business? Why do you want to do PhD? Why? Because you just want to be called, some people just want to be called doctor. A you know? doctor. <laughs> you just want to be called doctor, or people just want the title of, yeah, I'm a doctor. Like, it doesn't work like that. There should be a reason. And once you have that reason, you don't even think about that title. Mm -hmm. that, that reason pushes you. And you know, it's like um, when you know what you're going for, nothing distracts you on the way. But if you don't really know what you're going for, little things the supervisor giving you a negative feedback becomes a distraction <laughs> even a single life become a distraction <laughs> being under lockdown for one year becomes a big distraction they should of course but then it shouldn't affect the journey or the path that you are taking when you really love what you do so to anybody listening or to anybody who will watch this later you have the right to do higher education be it master or phd i encourage you to do it but have a reason and once you have a reason put everything it takes to do it and it's an interesting journey you love it and there is no turning back if you want to yeah wow wow samuel Lavi says great thank you samuel for your comment yeah. so mr hammond do you have mentors or people that you look up to in this journey that you are embarking? Yeah, there, there is, there is uh, not too many, but there are few people that I look up to and it's always based on different angles. And of course, yes, I have a mentor. So um, I have two mentors. I, one is a woman and then uh, she has been a great inspiration because I tell her things I want to do. And she always, she's, she's honest. She tells you, this is a crazy idea. <laughs> and I, I love people. Personally, I don't love people who tell you good things always. They should be mm. critical when it's yeah. easy. Yeah. So I have two mentors. Um, I'm Jenny. She's in the Netherlands. And then I'm working. I've been working with her on a number of projects. And 
if you don't mind, I will share a little bit of it because um, I think this is the right opportunity. So what happened was that when I was doing my master's, I was applying for internship because it's part of the master's. And then I saw a project that they were doing in Kenya. It was an European Union funded project in Kenya. So I wrote to them and they wrote back to me and told me, well, um, they love my CV and my proposal and everything, but unfortunately they cannot pick me. So it was a rejection. And I just wrote back to them and said, thank you. I love the project. And sometime in future, I look forward to being a part. One year, one year later, I got an email. Hey, are you still available? I'm working on a new project. I remember when I was on this project, he sent an email. And the, the bottom line is, even when you are rejected, know when to say thank you. Or thank, how you. To say thank you. Because I was just there. It's been one year. And mm. she wrote back to me asking if I was still available. And since then, we've become close friends. We've worked on two projects together. And we speak wow. like we speak about everything. And she came to Ireland with a boyfriend to see me because she's from Canada, but in Netherlands. And then before she went for vacation, she was here. I was planning to go to the Netherlands, but then I was having challenges with visa. She mm. flew down here to see me in a day. Can you imagine? Yeah, how good a mentor can be if you relate. And it all started with a thank you. Mm. So, yes, I, I have one. And um, regarding people I look up to, I, there is a, a professor in Ivory Coast, and he has done a great job relating to water, energy, and climate change. And he's the head of the AFWA, African Association of Water. So um, he's one person I read a lot about, and I want to not to be like him, but more than him. And then um, when it comes to policy and everything, like how to look for knowledge from different places, there's this guy, he's called Bright Simmons. He, he works with Imani Ghana. Mm. And that guy, is, he's fire. Like, <laughs> I love how he does research, how he speaks. He can speak to every single issue on earth. When he speaks, you always think, is he an expert in that? And I'm trying to I'm trying to copy that 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 thing. Like you can't be hundred percent in every field, but you need to be curious in certain areas and yeah. yeah, so he's somebody I look up to. And finally I look up to myself because I don't really know where I'll end up being, but I mm -hmm. I think maybe the future is so bright, it burns my eyes. So I'm look I'm looking at that future to see. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> great, 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 great. I'm enjoying this. Hilda says, wow, maybe I should look at the opportunities my mood presents, whether I'm happy or angry. angry. It may be life-changing and worth it. Thank you. Yeah. I agree with you, Hilda. Yes. We should start paying attention to some of these things. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so are you also available to mentor other aspiring researchers? And yes. if yes, how can they reach you? Yes, I'm available. And then, um, so, um, you know, a lot of people reach out and then they ask you, oh, I want to apply for this. How do I do it? And so um, last year, I, I it's, a, it's just a group I discussed with my mentor, Jenny, and then, um, what we do is we try to review CVs and um, 
proposals for mm. basically masters and phd students and it's for free and then that is one of the greatest thing i do so saturday sundays i'm always looking at people's cv and proposal and it gives wow. so much joy to try and help not because you are an expert you mm. only repeat your mistakes and past um, um challenges and to advise people yes i'm sure that some people have had good opportunities and that is something so um anybody who wants to reach out on um whatsapp on facebook and then i think the easiest is they should follow this video and you post my my number there and then that yeah in the description yeah so if you are watching i'm going to leave his details in the description so that yes. you can contact him i just i just love the interesting so i mentor for the clinton foundation as well and so um um, um, Bill Clinton, the former president of the U.S., mm -hmm. he has a, um, um, how do you call it, um, GCIU. So what we do is we have a lot of students. So currently I'm working with 16 students from nine different countries. And it's an interesting program. It gives so much joy to listen to people tell you different stories and perspectives. Mm -hmm. It helps you to grow. So it's a thing I love to do Saturday, Sundays, and I'm more than willing to... And again, I do this thing not as an expert, but as somebody who wants to learn with people and to enjoy mm -hmm. different things from different angles. So yeah, I'm more than ready to assist in any way possible. Well, thank you, thank you. You are doing you are doing a great job. God bless you. <laughs> okay, to the most difficult question. <laughs> What's your opinion about the current state of research work in Ghana? And what do you think can be done about it? Wow. It's, it's, it's a difficult question, of course, because I know there are a lot of amazing researchers in Ghana. There are a lot of ideas that have been developed in Ghana. There are a lot of ideas worth billions of dollars that have been developed in ghana but they have never seen the day of light because somewhere somehow an hod is sitting on a research somehow somehow electra is angry with one of the females in the group so you know even <laughs> the, you know it's just it's it's, it's just funny that the trivia issues some people have with students and because of that they don't want them in quotes to shine or to leave school and it's quite funny and then our environment currently lectures are on strike because their salary is either less or at five thousand citizens you have a politician who went to school with dddc because he can <laughs> insult he makes over sixteen thousand euro a, a month sitting in parliament refusing to even make laws mm. just being called a member of parliament so you look at these gaps and inequalities it makes research very hard and to live in ghana and conduct research is, is uh, uh, yeah when i went home briefly to do my you buy the internet data and you don't know <laughs> it just runs away so i there should be maximum respect to um, um, researchers back home they mm. are doing their best there is more room for improvement, first of all, I'll say. And I think the ecosystem within which we are needs to improve so that researchers can try. 
because sometimes people want to go to the lab and um, lab equipment are not working. The lab is overbooked and underutilized, and it makes it very difficult to thrive as a researcher. So um, challenges with um, a poor ecosystem that supports um, researchers is one. The lack of appreciation, you know, people think once you do research, the research should start working or something like, we have a wild imagination for research, but sometimes some research will take effect in 20, 30 or 50 years. Mm -hmm. So they need to be more understanding about what research is about, but because that understanding is still not there, it becomes difficult for researchers to even talk. And again, I think an opportunity like I have today to share my story and others, it's not there. When our bloggers want to interview, they always want to interview somebody who built one million mansion, one million dollar mansion. They never mm. ask them where they got the money from. Mm. I've, I've never seen mainstream media talking to a, a teacher or a lecturer, finding out what they are doing. They don't do that. So how then do we encourage more people to go into research? Everybody wants to speak to a celebrity. Everybody wants to speak to a lady with big features. Like, <laughs> you know, I think about it because somebody, some a Ghanaian two days ago, a Ghanaian guy won $1.3 million to develop a mentorship um, 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 app with a friend from, from, from Singapore. Nobody is talking about them. It's because I'm a friend with him and he's on Facebook. Nobody. 1.3 million. The whole country can go for a loan of $500,000. <laughs> but no, no blogger will speak to that person. Everybody wants to talk about Moesha or whoever or Afia or Patapa. Or, I'm not saying it's bad. That is the entertainment side. But how do we consciously also bring research into the limelight? How do we talk about teachers who have developed a lot of mathematicians. How do we talk about headmasters? There are a lot of people who brought us where we are now. Nobody knows them. Nobody appreciates them. And so I think it, it becomes difficult. So if you're a young person, you're even home. If you look at the life of your teacher, and you're like, I don't even want to go to school. <laughs> be a teacher. See, there, there is no motivation. And mm -hmm. That is a challenge, but if the things are mentioned and if they are all there, then we can have a thriving environment where young Ghanaians can develop innovations, where young Ghanaians can find solutions to the problems that we face. All the problems we face in Ghana, if you give money to people and put them in the room and say, look, in two, five years, provide solutions, you'll be amazed what they are going to do. But nobody wants to spend on a researcher. Yeah. We just want to spend on things to look flashy and we call big men in society but it doesn't all the in in europe and in these places people who develop social media also who are making breakthroughs they are like yeah, sometimes you look at their age or you read about their age and you feel like why didn't i do this when i was this age because at your age your teacher was still telling you to go and buy him watch it before class time <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's funny, but the realities are that we we need to do more and we need to pay more attention to, to our um, 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 education. Then probably I will say thank you to you because um, I've been on your show for some time. I've looked at how you bring Ghanaians from different parts of the world. And anyone who comes on the show also shares something, I believe, touches the heart of somebody somewhere. 
because there are some people they are very good they just want somebody to encourage them just one word yeah. you just push them to do well so i think you are also playing your part it needs to be commended and we need more of you on youtube so that when you want to search Ghanaian channels it will not be about gossip and this <laughs> you know every every last time i said i don't know whether is it because internet is true everybody thinks they have an opinion on social media everybody wants to talk about problem nobody is talking about the solution then here we are yeah, yeah. exactly well someone says well said yeah and i also agree with what you you have said i hope that with time we will be able to change things and then we will also get there now <laughs> with all these things do you have plans of going back i know you are a, a pan-africanist yes but <laughs> do you have plans of going back to ghana anytime soon to help with the knowledge that you have you've acquired well um going back to ghana can be figurative so there are different ways to go back to ghana so um i can be anywhere and still make an impact but one thing i've started thinking about is it's not just about relocating to to ghana it's just about what i can really do and sometimes you might not need to be in to make changes actually what i've realized when you are out when you say things people pay more attention than when you are in. so for me now i'm looking at where the waves will take me i'm finding it difficult to specifically say if i finish the phd today i'm going back to ghana tomorrow uh, that's 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 something i'm not sure is going to happen but beyond that um i'm still doing my best to communicate and do what i'm supposed to do but going back is, is certain i can't be here for long oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I miss gobe and tease it and that is something <laughs> The best place to eat it is close to the Gata back home, and I <laughs> I can't wait to, to go back for that. But in the meantime, I I'm trying to focus and close this lab, and then look at what comes out. And the current project I'm working on with my my mentor is is in Ghana, in three different regions in Ghana. So I'm not even in Ghana, but already doing things back home. So what I look forward to is how I can be more of an impact to many people. Mm -hmm. That's because the, the fact is that project, Ghana was in a part. And then when they asked me to join, I told them, are you putting this? Do you have Africa? They said, no. And I remember one lady was against including Africa. And I told her, you know, I can do this, but I think I can work best when you include an African case study. And, and now we have Ghana, Niger, and I feel yeah. happy. I am mm. contributing to it because there are some aspects of the project I'm not happy with, but because of just Ghana being in it, and I'm happy I fought That's for that. Yes, there are, there are different ways I think I, I'll connect and I'm connecting to Ghana and mm. not being physically yeah, present. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's the most important thing, making impact. It doesn't matter wherever you find yourself, right? Mm. It's been a great delight listening to you, Mr. Hammond. But, you know, yeah, <laughs> if we just want to continue, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will do it the whole week. So what would be your final words to our viewers? Well, um, to thank them for sending in their comments, for watching and for listening and then... Um, what I want to say is whatever anyone is doing, keep it up, don't stop. 
and then particularly if you want to embark on a master's or phd you have my 100 percent support just find what you like and do it and expect the challenges enjoy it when they come in in a year time or two we can have more researchers better than we are who can come on this channel and share their perspectives and experience and if you can do it just put it in your mind and believe in yourself that you can do it and there is few people who have done what you want to do hurry up and join and make it <laughs> thank you wow thank you thank you so much for the time mr hammond and thank you so much viewers for staying tuned to the end of today's episode please subscribe if you haven't and see you in our next episode bye bye stay blessed <laughs>